In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, we'll go back to your elementary English class for just a moment. And in there, you will remember learning your parts of speech. Right? You'll remember your eight parts of speech, maybe. But you'll remember learning that a noun, of course, is a person, place, thing, or idea. And that a verb is an action word. And so in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit to his disciples. All right, so the Holy Spirit is a noun. He is a person, the third person of the Holy Trinity, who is one God in three persons. And so Holy Spirit, of course, is a noun. But sometimes, and I tell this to kids in catechism, it's helpful to think of the Holy Spirit as a verb, an action word, because the Holy Spirit is God acting in us. The catechism says that the Holy Spirit calls, enlightens, and sanctifies us. So when we are baptized, the Holy Spirit comes to act in our life, and he acts in us for the rest of our lives until the very last day when we are raised from the grave and given eternal life. In the gospel reading, as Jesus promises the Holy Spirit's coming to the disciples, he calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete. Now, our translation uses the word advocate instead of paraclete, because paraclete's a Greek word, and which is fine. But I think we want to understand what exactly Jesus means when he calls the Holy Spirit an advocate. So some people read this, and they try to make the Holy Spirit into a lawyer. Now, everyone says they dislike lawyers, but that's not really true, because if you're in a legal pickle, you want a lawyer. Lawyers become very valuable. If you're in court facing charges, you want a lawyer advocating for you. You might remember the old Lincoln quote that a person who represents himself has a fool for a client. And so sometimes we think, well, if we're standing before God, we need an advocate, we need a lawyer, because to open our mouth before God would prove us to be fools. And so some see this word advocate, and they see that maybe this is the Holy Spirit representing us against God's judgment. But I think it's important not to jump to that conclusion, because I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. Because as a Christian, you don't need a lawyer to stand in front of God. You're already forgiven. Jesus has already taken the judgment for you. Just as 1 Peter says, Christ has already suffered to bring you to God once and for all. God is not standing over you, accusing you. And so when Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the advocate, what he is saying is that the Holy Spirit is God's advocate to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes to you, and he proclaims to you the promises of God's word. The Holy Spirit is a preacher for you, and he is advocating on God's behalf to you. And not only is he advocating, not only is he preaching to you, but the Holy Spirit is acting in you. He is making God's word work in your heart. And he's actively making you a person who loves God. Throughout scripture, God demands that you love him. In fact, that's the first and most important commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. But that's a problem, because how can you demand love? How can you command someone to love you? You can't say to someone, you are going to love me or else. 
And no matter how hard you try to love God, you can't simply generate it yourself. It's not in your power. And so what Christ is showing us here is that indeed God does demand our love, but that God does not expect us to love him from our own free will, to come up with it on our own, because that's not going to happen. In our own free will, we might love ourselves. We might love the many idols we set up in our lives. We might love a lot of things, but we will not love God. So instead of God waiting on us to love him, God creates love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so Christian love is the fruit of holding on to the promises of God. God gives us his promises. He promises to forgive us, to redeem us, to sanctify us, to give us eternal life. We love God when we trust that those promises are true for us. And we trust that those promises are true for us when the Holy Spirit comes to us, enlightens our heart, and preaches these promises to us. And so it has nothing to do with our abilities or our free will, but it has to do entirely with the Spirit of Truth, who brings God's promises to our heart. And so some people will read John 14, 15 and be alarmed. Right? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, that can be terrifying. It can be a terrifying word of law. We hear that, and maybe we immediately start to look inward. Wait, do I really love Jesus? Am I keeping his commandments? Oh no, I might be in trouble, because I don't know how I feel about Jesus today. Maybe I don't feel anything. Do I love him enough? Am I keeping his commandments? But we remember what Jesus has told us, which is he does not want our hearts to be troubled. So what Jesus is saying here is that the Holy Spirit comes to you, he gives you God's promises, and that leads to you loving God. Love is the fruit of the tree that the Holy Spirit makes you to be through receiving the forgiveness of sins, through the preaching of God's many promises to you. Love is the result and the consequence of trusting in the word of promise. And of course, it must be said that love is not a feeling. It's not butterflies in your tummy. Love is not the warm feeling that you see when you see someone attractive. Love is not simply the excitement of a new relationship. Instead, love comes out of knowing that someone is genuinely faithful to you and that you can trust their promise to forsake all others for you. Love is the result of being true to one another. And so God is always true to us. He is always faithful to us. So his love is never in question. Our love, of course, is not so certain. We wander like lost sheep. We come up with idols to put our trust in. We try to push God out of our lives in many ways. And so God simply gives us the love we need. He doesn't wait for us to love him. He gives it to us through his spirit. And God says, you are going to hear my word of forgiveness over and over and over. And out of that word is growing the love in your heart for God. Out of that word, our hearts grow, knowing that only God is worthy of our true devotion. So that's why marriage itself in the New Testament becomes a picture of God's love for the church. It is, as St. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, 
marriage is a great mystery, and I'm applying it to Christ in the church. So this is on my mind this week because I get to preside over my first celebration of marriage later this week. And so I'm thinking about how marriage itself reflects this truth of what God does in our hearts. Because we know as Christians, or we ought to know, that the love of a husband and wife is not love that is based on just a feeling. It's not love that's based just on interior introspection. It's not based on the butterflies in my tummy. Feelings are fine. Feelings are good and necessary. But feelings evolve. Feelings change. Feelings become uncertain. And so we see the disasters that believing that love is primarily about an interior feeling and the disasters that this has created in our modern world. Because there becomes an assumption that once a feeling changes in a marriage, that the marriage has a critical problem. Rather than facing the reality that feelings are up and down, they go in cycles, they change. And so people base their love, they base their trust on simply a feeling. And that becomes a problem. Each party of the marriage might begin sinfully to try to find that feeling somewhere else. And so life becomes about chasing feelings. Marital love, however, is something different. Marital love is the fruit of a promise. And of course, that promise that you make when you're married is to be with the other, to comfort, to love, to honor, to forsake all others in sickness and in health and poverty and wealth. And so when we put our trust into our spouse's word, that's how love begins to grow in a marriage. A feeling itself does not make love. Being true to a word makes love. And this is what the Holy Spirit gives to us as the spirit of truth. He teaches us that God's promises are true, that God does not give up on us or his promises. And so when God says you are forgiven, then you really are forgiven. When God calls you his child, then you really are his child. When God says he will not leave you orphaned, but he is coming to you, then you can know that he walks with you through all the struggles of this life. And so you do not have to look inward to try to find a feeling about God. You don't have to try to produce or generate a feeling because that's not where you're going to find your love for God. You will find your love for God in his promises. Jesus says, because I live, you will live. That's what Christ wants you to hold on to. As husband and wife hold on to the I do of their marital vows to know what love looks like, you can hold on to Jesus' promise. Because I live, you will live. That's what love of God looks like, holding on to that promise. And so through the preaching of the word, the Holy Spirit advocates God's faithfulness to you. He says, look at this word, hear this word, receive this word, because that's where your life is. That's what you hold on to. And that's how he creates love in your heart. Amen.